Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. It is so good to see all of y'all today. Hope you had a great spring break. Um, for those of y'all who uh, observe spring break, I realize that <laughs> if you don't have kids or grandkids, you uh, you may not observe spring break right these days. Um, but uh, good to be back together. Pastor Kurt uh, is away for uh, two weeks. He is in Israel, and uh, he got there, I guess, just a few few hours ago. Um, and so he's going to be there planning the trips uh, that he is going to be leading in November. And so uh, he's supposed to be sending me back a video to send greetings to all of y'all on Sunday morning. So I'm looking forward to, to getting that from him. We are in Mark chapter 8. And if you'll remember, uh, last week we, uh, we finished, we got through about verse uh, 13, and it was that uh, story of Jesus feeding the how many? The 4,000. And we talked through the, the, the differences between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Pastor Kerr was just really, really good about that it wasn't a miracle for a miracle's sake because people were hungry. Now that was good that he was he did that, but the primary re, primary reason why Jesus fed the multitudes was to teach his disciples. Right? These are teaching moments, and these teaching moments are going to uh, continue. And uh, before we get into the text, uh, we're going to be a little bit all over the place today. Um, we're going to be talking about eyes and hearts. And how our eyes and our hearts can be in a good place or not so good place. And scripture uses the metaphors of eyes and hearts a lot. And it's going to pop out a lot in our discussion today. So in that vein, we're going to pray through. Uh, We normally would pray through a psalm, but we're going to pray through a proverb uh, this morning as we begin. Proverbs 3, let's pray. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 
And so, just to kind of a little bit more of a recap from last week, if you'll recall that after uh, this miraculous feeding of the 4,000, after he sent them away, Jesus immediately begins to get criticism. And why would he get criticism from the Pharisees? Any thoughts? For miraculously feeding 4,000 people, who's going to complain about that? Well, the Pharisees are going to find and figure out a way. What do you think? Say it again. It was works of the devil because why? He's fraternizing with Gentiles. That is right. Uh, this, this becomes a big, it, it's like, it is really, really hard for us to, to understand the deep hatred that Jews had towards Gentiles and in the reverse. Um, and like it was so like woven in to their being. And you know, you get so hell bent on your way of seeing the world that you forget who you're supposed to be all along. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, it's such a, it's, it's like one of those like top five most important uh, verses in scripture. When God calls Abram, who will later become Abraham, uh, he says, I'm going to bless you. I am going to make your name great so that you can be a blessing to the nations. How can you be a blessing to the nations if you're constantly hating them? And yet this is the, this is the place that the Israelites were in. I mean, they were oppressed. They were beat down by the Romans. There's good reason to hate. Right? Hmm. So the Pharisees begin to ask him questions, verse 11, to test him. They ask him for, for a sign from heaven. Do you see how ridiculous this is? Why is it ridiculous, Kurt? That's right. And if they're paying any attention, it's multiple signs. He's fed 5,000 people. He's fed 4,000 people. It's like, what else do you need? This is what blindness can do. This is what happens when we become so convinced of our point of view that you cannot see the work of God when it's literally this far out in front of you. Right? And he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Hmm. Right there in your margin, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 8. No, hold on. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Sorry about that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Just right there in your margin. This is the uh, sister, sister passage, uh, to this one in Matthew. And um, are you getting over there to it, Brent? Why don't you read it for us uh, when you get over there to it? Matthew chapter 12, 35-ish. Good person produces good things. Treasury of the 
That's not it. Steve, what's going on? Oh, here we go. 38. Yeah, my 8 and 5 look, look the same. Here we go. One day, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous man that miraculous. The only sign I will give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. When Jonah was in the village of great fish for three days and three nights, so was the son of man being part of the earth for three days and three nights. One more. There you go. Perfect. Now, there's a lot there. We're not going to take time to completely unpack it, but Matthew helps us out. In Mark, Jesus is like, all that you need is right here. You're not paying attention. No sign will be given. In Matthew, it's there's a little bit of an, an addition. Oh, there's going to be one sign given, and it's going to be the sign of Jonah. And if you know anything about the book of Jonah, it is like, you know, there, Martin Luther wanted to throw out the book of James and the book of Revelation. He wanted to throw them out. Um, Jews would want to throw out the book of Jonah. And the reason is, is because it is exposing the very thing that the Pharisees are struggling with. Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Who lives in Nineveh? Gentiles, right? He doesn't want to go. But things happen. You know, when when you get eaten by a big fish, you end up doing things that you normally wouldn't do, right? So he goes and he preaches and they repent. They change. And he is mad about it. Same thing is happening. These uh, Jesus is going to these Gentiles. He's preaching to them. He is feeding them. And these Pharisees are mad about it. Right? But what, but what sign he does say that he will give is the sign of Jonah. And here in just a, a few, uh, probably about three weeks, we'll get to this place. Uh, if you'll just flip over for a preview. Th- this is the sign of Jonah in uh, chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. See the connection with the Jonah story there? Yeah, there, there it is. That's the sign he'll give. That he's going to give his life for the world. And he will conquer death for the world. That will be the sign. But until then, you need to pay attention to what is going on. All right. So verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Oh boy. Uh, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And, you know, the yeast is, is like traditionally this uh, symbol of sin, of rebelliousness, that a little bit of it just spreads. 
impacts this, impacts the whole uh, arena in which it has any any uh, location in. And so this yeast is this, I got to have a sign. I got to know, I got to see with my own eyes that you are who you say you are. And again, this is so ironic. It's basically, I want a sign that meets my expectations of what the Messiah is supposed to be. And my understanding of the Messiah is he is going to save Israel and that we together are going to come and we're going to conquer the world. That's my sign that he wants. Well, Herod also asked for a sign. And this is the, this is the passage in Luke 23, 8. We'll flip over there really quick. When Herod saw Jesus, this is, this is uh, the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. For a long time, he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he had hurt, hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. So Jesus is harping on, um, harping on his disciples here. He's wanting them to, to get to this place where they're open. They're not in this place of demanding. That's what Pharisees and the Her- and Herod does. They demand a sign on their terms. And Jesus is, is warning them, don't give in to that. All you need is here. And then he goes on. They discuss this with one another. It's like they're confused, right? So we got bread, we got yeast. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? It's like, oh, where did those five basketfuls left that were left over back? Why, why did we break? And so their, their, their perspective is so narrow and it needs to be expanded. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see, underline that, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basket pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? We're like, oh, wow. Let's just talk about a couple of things here. Um, Verse 17, put your finger there. And then go back to chapter 6, verse 52, and put your finger there. Maybe mine are on, on the same, I can keep my Bible open and still see both, both columns here. <clears throat> Heck, maybe I can do something. So. Take that off. And then go here and go there. And go to Mark 6. 52. Man, that thing's 
not lacking me today. All right. So you see it? Let's go back over there. Immediately he spoke to them and said, remember, he'd he'd fed the 5,000. This is Mark 6. He'd fed the 5,000. They'd gotten in the boat. They freaked out. And he calms the storm. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And then over here, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? When we read scripture in context like this, it's like, okay, could it be that this whole section is seeking to address the disciples and by extension all of us at the points of our hard hearts. Could it be? That Jesus is like passionate and and committed to spreading the gospel to everyone. Alright? That's his commitment. He's not saying anything about it. He's doing it with his actions. He's taking Jesus. Kurt's so good to, to remind us of this. He t- he's taking people to places that their that their moms will be freaking out that they're going to, right? And when you turn the page, they're going to Caesarea Philippi. Y'all know Caesarea Philippi, don't you? That's the, where the gates of hell are, and they're going to go there here just to. And so Jesus, he doesn't let up. And um, this, and they don't understand. And you could draw the conclusion they don't understand because they don't want to understand. Yes. Right there in the boat. Why wasn't that teaching form? Why didn't he? Show them, teach them something, or is it just implied? I think it's implied. Yeah, I think it's implied, for sure. So, if I were to ask you, like, to talk to me about everything you know in the Bible, what the Bible says about hardened hearts, who would you first think of? Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. It is so good to see all of y'all today. Hope you had a great spring break. Um, for those of y'all who uh, observe spring break, I realize that <laughs> if you don't have kids or grandkids, you uh, you may not observe spring break right these days. Um, but uh, good to be back together. Pastor Kurt uh, is away for uh, two weeks. He is in Israel, and uh, he got there, I guess, just a few few hours ago, um, and so he's going to be there planning the trips uh, that he is going to be leading in November. And so uh, he's supposed to be sending me back a video to send greetings to all of y'all on Sunday morning. So I'm looking forward to to getting that from him. We are in Mark chapter eight, and if you'll remember, uh, last week we uh, we finished, we got through about verse uh, thirteen. And it was that uh, story of Jesus feeding the how many? The 4,000. And we talked through the, the, the differences between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Pastor Kerr was just really, really good about that. It wasn't a miracle for a miracle's sake because people were hungry. 
Now that was good that he was he did that, but the primary re, primary reason why Jesus fed the multitudes was to teach his disciples. Right? These are teaching moments, and these teaching moments are going to uh, continue. And uh, before we get into the text, uh, we're going to be a little bit all over the place today. Um, we're going to be talking about eyes and hearts. And how our eyes and our hearts can be in a good place or not so good place. And scripture uses the metaphors of eyes and hearts a lot. And it's going to pop out a lot in our discussion today. So in that vein, we're going to pray through. Uh, we normally would pray through a psalm, but we're going to pray through a proverb uh, this morning as we begin. Proverbs 3, let's pray. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new, new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. And so, just to kind of, a little bit more of a recap from last week, if you'll recall that after uh, this miraculous feeding of the 4,000, after he sent them away, Jesus immediately begins to get criticism. And why would he get criticism from the Pharisees? Any thoughts? For miraculously feeding 4,000 people, who's going to complain about that? Well, the Pharisees are going to find and figure out a way. What do you think? Say it again. It was works of the devil because why? He's fraternizing with Gentiles. That is right. Uh, this, this becomes a big, it, it's like, it is really, really hard for us to, to understand the deep hatred that Jews had towards Gentiles and in the reverse. Um, and like it was so like woven in to their being. And you know, you get so hell bent on your way of seeing the world that you forget who you're supposed to be all along. 
If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, it's such a, it's, it's like one of those like top five most important uh, verses in scripture. When God calls Abram, who will later become Abraham, uh, he says, I'm going to bless you. I am going to make your name great so that you can be a blessing to the nations. How can you be a blessing to the nations if you're constantly hating them? And yet this is the, this is the place that the Israelites were in. I mean, they were oppressed. They were beat down by the Romans. There's good reason to hate. Right? Hmm. So the Pharisees begin to ask him questions, verse 11, to test him. They ask him for, for a sign from heaven. Do you see how ridiculous this is? Why is it ridiculous, Kurt? That's right. And if they're paying any attention, it's multiple signs. He's fed 5,000 people. He's fed 4,000 people. It's like, what else do you need? This is what blindness can do. This is what happens when we become so convinced of our point of view that you cannot see the work of God when it's literally this far out in front of you. Right? And he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Hmm. Right there in your margin, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 8. No, hold on. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Sorry about that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Just right there in your margin. This is the uh, sister, sister passage, uh, to this one in Matthew. And um, are you getting over there to it, Brent? Why don't you read it for us uh, when you get over there to it? Matthew chapter 12, 35-ish. A good person produces good things. Treasury of good water. That's not it, Steve. What's going on? Oh, here we go. 38. Yeah, my eight and five look look the same. Here we go. One day, Peter and the small Pharisees came to Jesus and said, "Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign." But Jesus replied, "Only an evil, adulterous man can miraculous. The only sign I will give you is the sign of the prophet." Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So was the son of man being part of the earth for three days and three nights. One more. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and in it when they repented of their sins and the preaching of Someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to There you go. Perfect. Now, there's a lot there. We're not going to take time to completely unpack it, but Matthew helps us out. In Mark, Jesus is like, Mm-mm. all that you need is right here. You're not paying attention. No sign will be given. In Matthew, it's there's a little bit of an, an addition. Oh, there's going to be one sign given, and it's going to be the sign of Jonah. And if you know anything about the book of Jonah, 
it is like, you know, there, Martin Luther wanted to throw out the book of James and the book of Revelation. He wanted to throw them out. Um, Jews would want to throw out the book of Jonah. And the reason is, is because it is exposing the very thing that the Pharisees are struggling with. Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Who lives in Nineveh? Gentiles, right? He doesn't want to go. But things happen. You know, when when you get eaten by a big fish, you end up doing things that you normally wouldn't do, right? So he goes and he preaches and they repent. They change. And he is mad about it. Same thing is happening. These uh, Jesus is going to these Gentiles. He's preaching to them. He is feeding them. And these Pharisees are mad about it. Right? But what, but what sign he does say that he will give is the sign of Jonah. And here in just a, a few, uh, probably about three weeks, we'll get to this place. Uh, if you feel this flip over for a preview, Th- this is the sign of Jonah in uh, chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. See the connection with the Jonah story there? Yeah, there, there it is. That's the sign he'll give. That he's going to give his life for the world. And he will conquer death for the world. That will be the sign. But until then, you need to pay attention to what is going on. All right. So verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Oh boy. Uh, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And, you know, the yeast is, is like traditionally this uh, symbol of sin, of rebelliousness, that a little bit of it just spreads. Impacts this, impacts the whole uh, arena in which it has any, any uh, location in. And so this yeast is this, I gotta have a sign. I gotta know, I gotta see with my own eyes that you are who you say you are. And again, this is so ironic. It's basically, I want a sign that meets my expectations of what the Messiah is supposed to be. And my understanding of the Messiah is he is going to save Israel and that we together are going to come and we're going to conquer the world. That's my sign that he wants. Well, Herod also asked for a sign. And this is the, this is the passage in Luke 23, 8. We'll flip over there really quick. When Herod saw Jesus, this is this is the, the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. For a long time, he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he had hurt, hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. So Jesus is harping on um, harping on his disciples here. He's wanting them to, to get to this place where they're open. 
They're not in this place of demanding. That's what Pharisees and Herod does. They demand a sign on their terms. And Jesus is, is warning them, don't give in to that. All you need is here. And then he goes on. They discuss this with one another. It's like they're confused, right? So we got bread, we got yeast. They discuss this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? It's like, oh, where did those five basketfuls left that were left over back? Why, why did we break? And so their, their, their perspective is so narrow and it needs to be expanded. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see, underline that, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basket pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? We're like, oh, wow. Let's just talk about a couple of things here. Um, Verse 17, put your finger there. And then go back to chapter 6, verse 52, and put your finger there. Maybe mine are on, on the same, I can keep my Bible open and still see both, both columns here. <clears throat> Heck, maybe I can do something. So. Take that off. And then go here and go there. And go to Mark 6. 52. Man, that thing's not lacking me today. All right. So you see it? Let's go back over there. Immediately he spoke to them and said, remember, he'd he'd fed the 5,000. This is Mark 6. He'd fed the 5,000. They'd gotten in the boat. They freaked out. And he calms the storm. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And then over here, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? When we read scripture in context like this, it's like, okay, could it be that this whole section is seeking to address the disciples and by extension, all of us, at the points of our hard hearts. Could it be? That Jesus is like passionate and, and committed to spreading the gospel to everyone. Alright? That's his commitment. He's not saying anything about it. 
He's doing it with his actions. He's taking Jesus. Kurt's so good to, to remind us of this. He t- he's taking people to places that their, that their moms will be freaking out that they're going to. Right? And when you turn the page, they're going to Caesarea Philippi. Y'all know Caesarea Philippi, don't you? That's the, where the gates of hell are. And they're going to go there here just to, and so Jesus, he doesn't let up. And, um, this, and they don't understand. And you could draw the conclusion they don't understand because they don't want to understand. Yes. Why wasn't that teaching form? Why didn't he show them, teach them something? Or is it just implied? I think it's implied. Yeah, I think it's implied. For sure. So if I were to ask you, like, to talk to me about everything you know in the Bible, what the Bible says about hardened hearts, who would you first think of? Pharaoh. Absolutely. Very good. Gold star, whoever said Pharaoh. Exodus. And it, it, it actually becomes a very controversial series of passages in uh, Exodus because it is the ten plagues uh, that God executes judgment against Egypt and particularly Pharaoh. And as you go through the first five, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. What is God trying to get Pharaoh to understand? Hey, Pharaoh, it's a great idea if you let my people go. Good idea. And not so many words. That's what his desire in Pharaoh's perspective is like, no, it's not a good idea. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Well, you get through the first five, and then there's a switch at the number six. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Man, isn't that cruel that God would harden somebody's heart? I think the thing you have to ask, well, tell me when Pharaoh's heart was ever soft in the first place. There's this passage in uh, Romans chapter 1 that I think really clarifies what's going on in Exodus, what goes on through the whole biblical story relative to hearts being hardened. There is a time when God is going to give you over to what you want. He he is not going to force you to listen. He's not going to force you to understand. But he is going to give you over. That's what it says in Romans. And God gave them over to their desires, to their evil ways. And that's what's happening in, in, uh, in Exodus with Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh, if this is what you want, this is what you're going to get. Gives him over. And so when, yeah, the, the, the Pharisees, their hearts are hard, and uh, Jesus is concerned about the hardness of the Pharisees' heart, but he's really, really concerned about the hardness of his disciples. I mean, he is going to be, he is going to depend on them to carry his ministry forward after he ascends to heaven. And if they are not on board with spreading this gospel to where? The ends of the earth. And if you if you know anything about the book of Acts, they're not there yet. 
It takes them like nine chapters of the book of Acts to finally, ah, it's actually chapter 10 when Peter says, I now understand that God shows no partiality. It's a long way, long time. And so when we talk about hearts being hard, it's an unwillingness to trust, an unwillingness to get on board with God's design and desire for our lives. Humans, us, we have this great propensity to believe that we know what is best for our lives and for our, the, the lives of those around us. And the disciples felt like it would serve them best if this gospel was just for the Jews. Kurt uses talks about a Hebrew word a lot, and that's we're, we're right in the center of it. it's the word basora. It's the word that often in the New Testament is in Greek is euangelion, or what we hear translated as gospel or good news. So basora, euangelion, gospel, good news, all the same thing. But what it, what it, in essence, what it, what it is, it is this, this, uh, all the nations coming back together. The division that happened in Babylon at the Tower of Babel, remember that in essence, the work of Jesus and the work of the gospel is to reverse that. You have that story, and then what happens? What's what's the next story? Genesis chapter eleven, Tower of Babel, the the nations are divided. What's the next story? Abram, I will bless you to be a blessing to the nations. Pulling it back together. If you'll turn your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. We'll start in verse 2. In the last days... Peter starts his sermon at the beginning of Acts, he uses that exact phrase. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountain. And where was Peter at? He was there. So he's like channeling all of this. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations, all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. 
He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Question. What causes war? Like if you were to boil it down, like, and you can even think about it, what causes war in your family? Like with your spouse? Scarcity. Say that again? That's right. This is it. That is, we, we get in our minds, we, our perspective becomes skewed that the world in which we live, our own individual worlds, our nation's world, that it, it has become a place where there is not enough. So since there is not enough, I've got to go take it from someone else. Right? The Besorah, and that's what we just read, the gospel is a reversal of that mentality. 